Stan Lee was part of the creation and development of some of the most indelible characters in American popular culture. Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and Black Panther. He died Monday. He was 95. From Lee's cameos in Marvel films to his motto, Excelsior, the man was all over the culture he inhabited. He left his mark on countless films, comics, TV shows, kids' pajamas, and internet debates. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're remembering Stan Lee, so come right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor ESPN. The critically acclaimed 30 for 30 documentary series is now a podcast featuring original audio stories from the world of sports, the heroes, the controversies, and how what happens on the field can change everything. Listen to the new season of 30 for 30 on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Welcome back. You just met Glenn Weldon, who's written about comics for years at NPR and elsewhere. I'm also here with Stephen Thompson of NPR Music. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Linda. And joining us on the phone from the great state of Wisconsin is one of the publishing pioneers of the fandom devoted to comic books and the 30-year co-editor of Comics Buyer's Guide. And you may know, she is also Stephen's mother, Maggie Thompson. Hi, Maggie. Hello, Linda. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for being with us. And I do want to talk to you about fandom, but I'm going to go first to Glenn. Glenn, you wrote A Remembrance of Stanley. Give me a general overview of kind of where he fits in to the Marvel Universe as people now know it. Okay. Uh, all those characters you mentioned uh, in the intro, he co-created with various artists and co-plotters. Jack Kirby uh, and people like and that. And Steve Ditko and, and people like that. And that's important. He created what's called the Marvel Method, which is that he would invite an artist into his office, give them the bold strokes, kind of act out the story, then send them away. They would do a lot of the work and then come back, and then he would write the dialogue. And often what he got back from them was very different from what he sent them out to do, uh -huh. but he would still uh, write the dialogue there. He is a co-creator of what everything we know about Marvel, but he is single-handedly the creator of the Marvel brand. Yeah. In the pages of the comics, he became a figurehead for everything that Marvel was, and he basically instituted a kind of a, a papal schism in the, in the comics <laughs> field where he created Marvel against Brand Eck, or DC Comics. Right. And you wanted to be part of this tight-knit world of Marvel Comics because he would let you into the bullpen. He would give everybody nicknames. It was this very garrulous prose that was charming, and he became the guy that sold Marvel to the world. And that you didn't really necessarily have to wind up with a comics world that worked that way. You you don't necessarily have, you know, a movie studio world where it's, you know, universal versus paramount and <laughs> you can only like one or the other. But he kind of, you're saying, ushered in that division of fandoms. Right. He made you identify uh, to make mine Marvel. Uh, yeah. he, he made you identify with this one publisher and all its various characters, which were very tight knit. And, and he was also helpful and kind of creating everything that kind of interconnected that Yeah. Way. Well, Maggie, you've spent some decades uh, in the world <laughs> of comics fandom. What do you think Stan Lee's contribution is to the way fandom works? Aside from that kind of Marvel DC schism, what do you think his mark on fandom was? It was really involving the readers to an incredible extent. Now, note that DC made a point of establishing letters columns with names and addresses so fans could come together in that way to communicate. But Stan was more of a, hey, we're all buddies together. We're all kind of equals. We're all kind of having fun. And wouldn't you like to be in our fan club? He never talked down 
to his readers. He made that a point of pride. It was more we're all having fun together world. And I think the creation of the fan club of Marvel was very influential in the way that his fans became devoted and Marvelites. So just as Glenn was indicating, there's Marvelites and the DC fans and the brand Eck and every right. all the different fighting that that involved. Let me mention just hurriedly, he didn't create everything we know about Marvel. The Golden Age, which is the 1940s, preceded that. And one of the genius things that Stan did was he returned those characters two comic books for kids so that he never created Captain America, but he used Captain America. He didn't create the human torch, but he revamped the human torch, Mm -hmm. etc. One of the things it talks about in Glenn's Remembrance is that Marvel developed a kind of a different set of emotional marks for Mm -hmm. characters that rather than being angry, crime fighting, that it was all about that stuff, more complicated sort of, as Glenn said, adolescent emotions. Glenn, can you talk a little bit about that as part of the Marvel uh, world? Well, let's use those examples that Maggie just cited. When they brought back Captain America, he wasn't just a superhero who fought for right. He was a man stuck out of time and all the angst that that brought with him. When he brought back the Human Torch, he became a hot-headed jerk, basically, uh, who was always fighting with the members of of his Fantastic Four family. He was, among other things, a marketer, pure and simple. He recognized that the audience had changed from very young kids to teens and adults. And that means if readers want to see some version of themselves in the pages, that means now these heroes would suffer feelings of inadequacy. They would feel jealous. They would get angry with each other. They would, in other words, mirror the teenage experience in a big way. And that's what set Marvel apart. Stephen, you've spent those those some of those same decades kind of adjacent to <laughs> living with this. <laughs> adjacent to comics fandom. Where does Stan Lee fit into your understanding? A little bit farther removed than your mom's, but still kind of in this world. How do you remember Stan Lee? Man, I mean, I've been Stan Lee adjacent my entire life. And as such, I've come to view him almost as much as a comic book character or a movie character than as a guy or as an editor or as a pioneer or as a talent. And it's just interesting. Part of that is just longevity. Part of that is just that he has been omnipresent and on the wind. You saw his cartoony face in the back of old comic books. He was always this benevolent hype man not only like on the pages of those comic books and sometimes just breaking the fourth wall and speaking to you directly. directly. And in a way that has been a constant throughout his career into and through all these Marvel movies where he pops up Alfred Hitchcock style with like a wacky scene in movie after movie after movie. It's been this kind of strange an oddly consistent continuation of that legacy. It's so weird to think of him as gone because he's just always been there cheering you on for enjoying Marvel. Yeah, and I've struggled to think, I've been trying to think today, whether I know of other entertainment brands who have anybody who is in a similar position where personal loyalty to him or personal fandom of him as a creator slash executive, right. mm-hmm. like money-making executive at the company, among other things, attaches in the same way. I think you could probably think of music labels that are mm-hmm. like that, where the person at the top of the music label is. But I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think, you know, DC didn't have a similar person, mm, I nope. don't think. So you got uh, Stanley, you got DJ Khaled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
What, you, what else you got? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, DJ a, Khaled is not actually a bad comparison because it they both. A, it's a lot of sloganeering, yep. and it's it's larger than life, and mm-hmm. so so uh, you know, DJ Khaled is the Stanley of hip hop. There we go. <laughs> Maggie, what do you think is the tie between Stan Lee and the ability of the comics to shift so successfully into this movie universe more successfully, I think, arguably than DC has in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years is part of that kind of keeping Stan Lee around as that bond, do you think? I did a, a piece in Comics Buyer's Guide a few years ago trying to evaluate what it was that Stan Lee was and what Stan Lee was was an editor. And an editor doesn't make the company policy. And an editor doesn't do a movie deal. And an editor doesn't even get to decide what his creators are paid. An editor is assembling the material and telling the audience, this is going to be great. Yeah. And so those marketers use the creations that Stan made and Stan himself yeah. to say, hey, we could sell this movie. Hey, we could do a TV show. Why don't we do it this or that? But Stan, because of his position as an editor, got blamed for things he never had anything to do with. Yeah. I think you're right to point out He's such an important piece of what the brand was, and he had become such an important piece of what people understood Marvel to be. And as Glenn wrote about today, such a brilliant marketer that maybe the kind of the fact that you do get, as Stephen was saying, those cameos is a is a very clever. It has nothing to do with the creation of the films, but it's a clever piece of branding because he does have that like. Colonel Sanders. There we go. Yeah, we found it. Whatever you want to say. (laughs) DJ I will add that Stan got paid to be that face of the company. Yeah. He got paid to do the PR at a point when he was no longer writing the stories. Yeah. He was getting paid by Marvel to be the guy representing Marvel. And that's a tricky tightrope to walk. Yeah. Excuse my mixed metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) I do think there's some truth that he was in charge of a brand that has made a tremendous amount of money and that has sometimes had, you know, push-pull about credit and making sure people Mm -hmm. got paid, which you can read a lot about in a lot of places. He managed to preside over this money-making brand in a way that people still thought of him as their buddy. And that's a hard thing to do successfully. And I wonder how much it has to do with that voice that he had. It's like the, I won't say it for obvious reasons, but it's like the way Mark Maron starts his podcast with all the like call outs to the fans and the sort of, hey guys, and all that (laughs) stuff. He had a very similar approach, I think. Right. And as Stephen was mentioning, when he spoke to you, he was inviting you into this place. You never thought of yourself as a nerd when you were reading <laughs> this kind of well, like... I, I, back... still, I still did. Well, I mean, this kind of <laughs> backslapping, hey, here we go, hey, yeah, Excelsior, yeah. face front, true believers. Like, there was something that kind of bypassed. He seemed... I'm not going to say cool, but like hipster doofus cool that kind of came around again toward the back and kind of it, it was it made you feel included. Yeah. I guess it's as simple as that. Well, by the way, by the way, this was a job to him. He worked so 
hard to create that. And I think there's a tendency to go, oh, it came naturally to him. Mm -hmm. My brother uh, worked for Marvel for a while. And in his uh, experiences with Stan, among the things that Stan made very clear, quote, I've always been bad on names and faces. Now imagine being a PR guy who's bad on names and faces or doesn't quite remember a storyline clearly. And by golly, if he was going into a meeting in which that storyline was important or those names and faces were important, he would do his homework and you would think that that just came spontaneously out of his brain. No, it was because he went homework and he was prepared for those experiences. And that's a job. Yeah. Do you think, Maggie, that it's the, as Glenn was saying, that it's the method that that will be kind of the legacy of Stanley at Marvel most of all? The Marvel method where you, where the writer and artists brainstorm? Yes, I, I think so. That's certainly a different way of doing comic books and a different way of doing certain kinds of entertainment that I think works brilliantly if the team can work together. Other Stan Lee thoughts? Stephen, do you have any? No, I, I brought my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for you, son. There Thanks for, for doing you. my homework, mom. <laughs> Just like old times. <laughs> well, it's such a profound pleasure to have you with us, Maggie, and I'm glad. I think you were exactly the right person to be with us to remember Stanley. Again, I encourage you to read Glenn's Remembrance. It's really, really lovely. Yeah. And to check out, you know, any number of the other pieces about Stanley and his considerable influence. And if you want to follow Maggie on Twitter, she's at Thompson Maggie. And you can follow her as she tries to find out whether Stephen uh, is sleeping enough and whether he's feeling <laughs> sick. Every uh, time I go on a road trip, it's like, you haven't tweeted. Yeah, it's true. I'm driving. No, he doesn't. Busy driving. I'm saying. It's true. My mom does the same thing. All right. Uh, we will see you all back here on Friday. We're going to be talking about the Amazon show Homecoming, which we really, really like. Drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you back here on Friday. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you love to find and hear great new music, but you don't know where to start, let All Songs Considered be your guide. It's NPR's weekly music discussion and discovery podcast with tons of new songs and artists to fall in love with. Hear All Songs Considered in the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts.